Good morning. Man, it is so good to be here on Celebrating Advent uh, together. This is my absolute favorite time of the year. Um, Advent hymnody, man, my favorite the whole year, just to hear all of you just singing out these beautiful, rich songs. Oh, so good. And then we got kids serenading us also from, from downstairs, which is kind of fun as well. A little prelude to our Eve of the Eve gathering. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's great to be here uh, this morning and uh, just to be preparing our hearts together for Christmas, right? We get this whole season of Advent to be kind of tuning our hearts, preparing our hearts, uh, giving us plenty of time to prepare for the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. And so we're in the midst of a series this year looking at the different offices of Jesus, different roles of Jesus. Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. And um, Advent's a great time to look backwards uh, to Jesus coming and all the ways it's foretold for us in the Old Testament and look forward to his return and his coming. And so as we get to trace some of these themes this year, we're, we traced last week Jesus as our prophet, the revealer of truth. And this week we're going to look at Jesus as our priest, right? He's our redeemer. At first glance, Jesus' role as priest might not look like it fits in our Advent Christmas theme. Maybe you think Jesus' priest may be more of a Good Friday, Easter um, sort of theme, but you might be surprised by how much Jesus' incarnation is a part of his priestly role. The fact that Jesus actually comes, takes on flesh and blood to be our high priest. And so as we move forward in our series, again, I want you to hold together these different offices, Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, and Jesus as king. The full beauty of Jesus only comes into focus as we embrace all of his roles. If he's only a prophet revealing truth, right, we're in trouble because we're, we're exposed, right? And all of our sin and our struggle and all truth with no grace would be pretty painful, right? If all we got was just truth on blast. But thankfully, Jesus is our gracious high priest. He's our redeemer. So when we're exposed to the truth, we're also exposed to Jesus' priestly work. Uh, we could face the truth of our struggles and our sins because Jesus has already dealt with them, right? We don't have to be defined by our guilt and our shame, and that is very, very good news for us uh, this morning. Now, priests are as old as human history, right? The idea that there are people that mediate between God and us, right? That's something that is as old as human civilization and culture. Uh, but we have a few specific challenges, I think, to overcome in seeing priests as good news for us today. Uh, first, the only priests in our culture, we don't have a lot of priests in our culture, have been making headlines, that is, Roman Catholic priests, for, for abusing children. And so that, that kind of just puts a negative kind of coloring as we think about the priestly office of Jesus. And I'm not here to pick on, you know, Roman Catholic Church or anything. Um, but, but that's unfortunate, right? As we think about the office of Jesus as our priest, right? We, we might have some negative associations that come with us. And thankfully, the Bible doesn't make any attempts to gloss over the reality that human priests, right, come with their failures and their flaws. Some of them are even downright wicked. We see that in the biblical narrative. We'll look briefly at some of those um, this morning, but that is precisely why the Bible says we need a better priest. We need one without any of those weaknesses, without any of those flaws, without any of those failings to minister us, to bring us to God. 
Second, for many uh, today, I think the idea of is seeing a priest as a bit of an archaic role, right? You know, more primitive civilizations had priests and priestesses. Today, we have therapists, right? We have counselors. We have life coaches uh, to talk us through all of our lives' problems and issues. And we're so thankful for those people that are in the helping profession. If you're a therapist, if you're a psychologist, uh, uh, no shade being thrown on you at all. I think most modern people just don't see the need for a priest as much, but I want to suggest that the persistent power of sin and guilt and shame are not going away anytime soon, nor is our spiritual hunger for God. And as long as there is a, a spiritual hunger in our hearts, right, we're going to need priests, people that will bring us to God. These spiritual problems demand spiritual solutions, and so we need a better priest. Finally, uh, one last observation, just I was thinking about that priests in our culture today. Uh, this is interesting. I, I think this is true. The classic Protestant priesthood of all believers, you know, the idea that we can all go directly to God, um, it's a beautiful thing in our tradition. But, but today it's, it's morphed into an interesting kind of new age variant, right? People today are like, I don't need a priest. I can go directly to God myself. In fact, I can find God deep within my own heart. And so if I want to look for the divine, just look within. And there are many guides out there just telling you, of course, you, know, you don't need a priest. You are a priest. You are a priestess. Just find your, your inner goddess inside of yourself. And, and once again, I think it's great that people are looking for the divine. We're not just in a secular, materialistic culture. There's been a vast resurgence of interest in the spiritual, right? People are into all the, the cult is all back in style again. People are channeling through crystals and tarot cards and astro- all of it's back. And, and I think that just speaks to the spiritual hunger that we have as human beings. But I would humbly suggest, and boldly, (laughs) that they're looking in all the wrong places, right? As we said last week, we can find some good things when we look within, but we're also going to find some pretty dark and ugly things within. And so if we're searching for the divine deep within, right, we're going to see both maybe our better angels and demons. Um, Once again, I would suggest we need a more infallible guide. We need a better priest who can bring us to God. And so the big idea for this morning is simply Jesus is that priest. Jesus is our priest to bring us to God. And my outline uh, for this morning here, uh, three things I want to see about Jesus as our priest. I want you to see that he is the divine mediator, he is a human mediator, and also he is the perfect sacrifice. And so once again, I'm going to anchor those reflections in Hebrews 4, uh, the scripture text we read this morning, but I'm going to be going all over the place, so it may feel more like a topical sermon. Hang in there. I will get back to Hebrews 4, but I've got lots of ground to cover. So it's, again, more of a topical sermon, more broadly reflecting on Jesus' role as our mediator. And my aim for this morning's sermon is to lead us boldly to the throne of grace, right? Boldly to our priest and mediator, the one mediator between God and man. So let's pray as we dive into our text this morning. Father, we struggle with sin. We get stuck in shame. We experience guilt. God, we, none of us come perfect this morning. None of us walk through the doors this morning just thinking, man, we're such great people, and everything's so perfect and great and wonderful, right? We, we come with all of our fears and our anxieties and our weaknesses on our struggles, and we thank you this morning that we come 
God, to a high priest who understands our struggles, who understands our weaknesses and our fears and our anxieties, one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And so as we come this morning, would we find help, God, for all of the different burdens that we bear, uh, the weights that we carry? God, would you meet us this morning as our gracious and merciful high priest? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me get maybe a little bit of a running start this morning with some of the context as we're making our way to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to get there, but before I do that, I want to, again, once again, build a background. We're in the season of Advent. Advent is a wonderful time for us to look backwards at all the promises that are preparing the way for Jesus. We're preparing our hearts. It's great for us to step back into the biblical story and see all the long ages of preparation, all the promises that are coming to fruition in Jesus. So we're going to do a little bit of background. Once again, right, we're going to see Jesus is following in a long line of priests who interceded between God and his people, right? When God brought his people out of Egypt, he met with them at Mount Sinai personally and gave them his law as a framework for their flourishing, but they were terrified by God's presence and struggled mightily to follow his law. So so God decided, he's like, I'm going to keep my presence concentrated in the tabernacle, and then he appointed priests to intercede between God and the people, so they wouldn't have to directly deal with the holiness and majesty and glory of God, which was so intimidating that they couldn't even deal with it. At the most basic level, What priests do is they intercede between God and people. They are mediators or go-betweens, right? They help us connect with God himself. That's what a priest does. And so for Israel, as they're setting out from Mount Sinai, God has appointed specific people to help them as they relate to this holy, majestic, glorious, powerful God that they've met at Mount Sinai. Uh, Bruce Waltke, uh, the commentator, uh, said this about priests that I thought was very helpful. Um, priests are mediators, as, the priests as mediators between God and his people have two functions. As teachers, they teach God's revelation, Leviticus 10, uh, 10 through 11. And as sacred personnel, they facilitate the encounter between God and his people in liturgy, such as offering sacrifices to atone for sin. So, so priests are mediators. They connect us to God by teaching us about God, telling us what he's like, but then also connecting us in corporate worship around the temple and all the work that was associated with this, bringing us in, as it were, literally in Israel's case, to the presence of God. And so it is a powerful role. We get extensive instruction for the priesthood in Exodus 28 and 29, Leviticus 8 through 10, Numbers 3, all throughout the Old Testament. And uh, if you're following along on our Advent devotional, you get to read some of those texts and build some of that background. Uh, I'm not going to go there this morning, but I just want to say a few things. Like first, their location in the tabernacle and later the temple guards the presence of God, right? They're there to minister, to bring people in to the presence of God in ways that are appropriate for human beings. And even their priestly robes represent this mediatorial function. I think I have a picture there. I just want to mention just in passing here that they have 12 gems on their breastplate representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So they represent God, the people before God. When they go into the temple, when they go into the Holy of Holies, they go in representing God. And those 12 jewels right on their breastplate represent God's people before God in the temple. 
Because of the people's fear of the Lord, God established a special class of priests and uh, the, you know, the garments and all of the elaborate rituals that went with the, temp- the tabernacle and later, later the temple. But the vision that God had was for all of God's people to be priests to the surrounding nations. It's interesting, in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, uh, we hear this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right? The vision, even back in Exodus, is not just for a special class of priests, but that all of God's people would be priests to the nations, that every one of God's people would be a person that would connect the nations to the God of Israel, to the true and living God. It's an incredible, powerful Beautiful vision, right? Because we all need a mediator because of our sin, because of our fallibility, because of our finitude, right? We're estranged from God and we need someone to take us by the hand and lead us into the presence of God. And the vision here in Exodus is that all of God's people would be like that. Mediators, priests, intercessors, go-betweens to bring all of the nations into the presence of the true and living God. It's an incredible vision, right? beautiful vision of this priesthood of all believers, where we get that. But the problem was that not even the priests in the line of Aaron could live up to this vision, much less, you know, all of the people. They were imperfect mediators. They brought their own sin with them, uh, often disqualifying themselves from their office, occasionally being killed in the very presence of tinkering around with the sacred things, not respecting the office that God had established or his holiness. Some of them died uh, because of those very things. And By the time, moving very quickly through, by the time of the prophets, the priestly office was already largely corrupt. Uh, These people who were supposed to lead people into the presence of God were leading people astray. We saw that already in our Minor Prophets series. Let me just give you two quick illustrations, one in Hosea, one in Zephaniah. Uh, As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. These are the people that are supposed to bring people into the presence of God. Where Zephaniah 1, 4 through 5, her prophets are fickle. Treacherous men or priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The ones that are supposed to actually be following the law, teaching people about God and his law, are the ones that are doing violence to it. But there was a slender thread of hope. The very last high priest mentioned in the Old Testament, Joshua, receives a prophecy that God will remove all of Israel's sin in a single day, in Zechariah 3, 9, and that a priest will sit on the throne of Israel. Zechariah 6, 9 through 14, um, Josh Bashan, receives preaching, talked about this. Uh, when I was preaching through Zechariah, uh, we were able to unpack these promises in a little bit more detail. Uh, but what's important for us to see is that when Jesus comes on the scene, he comes as that long-awaited Priest, And this explains why Jesus is on a head-on collision with the high priests of his time. He's come to clean house and restore the office of priest to bring God's people back into his presence. And so hopefully this short little biblical survey here uh, orients you to what God is doing here with this office 
of high priests. So when Jesus comes, he's coming as our great high priest. And the book of Hebrews, more than any other book, unpacks his priestly book. In fact, the entire book, essentially, from beginning to end, is thematically working through Jesus' priestly office, his intercessory office for us. And so if you're looking for something a little different for Advent this year, uh, read more on Jesus' beautiful high priestly work in Hebrews. We're just going to touch on some of the high points here this morning, but we're going to camp out in Hebrews and the work that Jesus is doing for us as our priest. And the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is our divine mediator as priest, right? In the first place, he is the perfect mediator between God and man because he is God, the exact imprint of his nature. We see this in Hebrews 1, 3, right from the beginning. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? All the Old Testament priests failed to represent God perfectly. Jesus comes as the final priest to show us God, to bring us into God's presence, And I think we need to pause here just to recognize Jesus' superiority to other priests, right? There have been countless priests throughout history claiming to be able to connect us to God. And many today are promoting access to the spiritual through the occult, through crystals, through tarot cards, through astrology, through mediums, right? More and more today. It's just shocking to me to see how much of a comeback these things are making. And it's, uncer- it's understandable that in times of uncertainty and instability, people are looking for answers. People are looking for some connection with the great beyond. Uh, but these are all faltering human efforts to connect us to the divine. Their, their man's best efforts may be to reach out to the divine, to reach out to the great unknown. But Jesus is the divine come to connect us to God. Right? He can lead us into a relationship with God because he has shared a perfect relationship of love, joy, and peace with God from all eternity. He is the ultimate authoritative spiritual guide. And we need to hear that today because there are so many people offering spiritual guidance. Just just flip on the television to any, anyone on the Oprah network and you're going to find uh, so many different options, so many ways to find and connect with God within. Jesus is the ultimate God, guide to God because he comes from God and from a relationship with God. Coming from God, he is the perfect guide back to God. And as a real flesh and blood human being, he is deeply sympathetic to our sin and suffering, which leads us to our second point. Jesus is a human mediator. He's not just fully God, he is also fully man. And so we pick this up again in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. We're going to see how the author of Hebrews spells this out. Not only is Jesus a divine mediator, he's also a human mediator. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Right? Jesus takes on our flesh and blood, shares in everything that we suffer through to bring us Redemption. Uh, picking it up in verse 17 of chapter 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so they might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those 
who are being tempted. Do you see the logic here in Hebrews chapter 2? Right? Jesus has been made like us in every way so that he could be a faithful, merciful high priest. He, he gets us. He, he knows us. He understands our temptations. He understands our weaknesses. He understands all the way we struggle as the God-man. Jesus is equally qualified to represent God and represent us with all the burdens we bear. He can guide us into a relationship with God because of his relationship with the Father, and he can help us because he knows our struggles. Have you ever tried to get help from someone way smarter than you in your life, maybe for like math homework or something, and you walk away from that experience feeling even dumber because that person is really good at math and they're really smart, but they don't get you. They don't understand your struggles. They don't understand the concepts you're not grasping. I think some people feel like that's the relationship with God. You know, God may be a perfect being, but there's no way he could possibly relate to my struggles. There's no way he could possibly relate to my weaknesses. There's no way he could possibly relate to my anxieties and fears. Uh, But notice that's not a problem for Jesus. He understands our flesh and blood weakness and frailty perfectly. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, where I told you we'd get to eventually, goes on to tell us why. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. As our perfect priest, Jesus doesn't look down on us. He doesn't despise us. He doesn't belittle us. He doesn't patronize us. He isn't condescending to us. The author of Hebrews simply says, Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. Isn't that astounding? Jesus sympathizes. Hear the compassion in Jesus' voice. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin said this about Hebrews 4.15, and I thought this was beautiful. As he was introducing a sermon on this text, he said, I have chosen this text as that which above any other speaks his heart most and sets out the frame and workings of it towards sinners. And that so sensibly does, as it were, take our hands and lay them upon Christ's breast and let us feel his heartbeat and his affection yearn towards us even now as he is in glory. Let that sink in to you this morning, right? If you are here this morning and you're wondering, does God even care? Does God even understand what I'm going through? Does God even understand the burdens that I'm walking through the door? Hear these words from Hebrews 4.15. God sympathizes with your weakness. If you want to know the heart of Christ, it's a heart of sympathy. It's a heart of compassion and not just from a distance, from someone who's been tempted in every way as you are yet without sin. And then notice the second part of this text. Notice the stunning statement also in verse 15 that Jesus has been tempted in every respect as we are tempted in every way. Now that is remarkable, right? Jesus has experienced temptation, all of its diversity in every respect, all kinds of temptation, right? He's not surprised by the temptations that Go through your mind. He has been tempted 
in every way. And as Jesus has experienced temptation in all of its intensity and all of its power, because he never even once gave up, right? We, we under the weight of temptation, we fall, we, we stumble, we've given up, we've experienced temptation to a limited degree. Jesus has experienced temptation to the maximal degree because he took temptation all the way to its furthest extent without ever surrendering, without ever giving up. He's experienced temptation at its most difficult so he gets us, right? As the new uh, Christian ad campaign has seen, uh, I don't know if you've seen this during football games or something, it's beautiful. Jesus gets us, all of us. It's based in this text here in Hebrews chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 4. We don't have an high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. This is a Savior who gets us in our weakness, in our struggles, in our frailties. Um, There is nothing we have ever said or done or thought that will shock him. He has been tempted in every way as we are. So don't let your guilt or shame stop you from receiving his ministry. He is deeply sympathetic to your struggles and temptations. And I would say uh, for many years of my Christian life, I would say that I believe that in theory, but it's a very different thing, right, to actually believe with the very real struggles and weaknesses and challenges and difficulties we believe that, that Jesus really does get us, that he's really willing to minister to us, right? Our, our sins are not things that disqualify us from his ministry. They're not things that make him turn his face away from us. Our weaknesses and our sins and our struggles are the very thing that moves his heart towards us to rescue, to redeem, to bring us back into his family. That is the beauty of the Christ we serve, the beauty of his priestly office. He moves towards us in our weakness and our sin and our failures and flaws. And I don't know anybody else who does that, right? If you think of the priestly office out there, I, I know we move away from each other, right? In our weaknesses and our sins and our flaws and our failures. Even the people we love the most, we struggle, right? To enter into their brokenness and into their struggles. Jesus walks into, in compassion, he is moved towards us. And not only is it Jesus the perfect guide to lead us to God, and not only does he perfectly understand our weakness and frailty, he actually does something about it, right? That's the important part of the message that we're receiving this morning. It's not simply that he knows how to bring us to God and he knows all of the barriers that stand between us and God. He has also done something about those barriers. Jesus is not only our perfect priest, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. That is where the book of Hebrews is beautiful, right? The author of Hebrews starts mixing metaphors, right? Not only is Jesus the priest, he's also the sacrifice, right? Part of the role of all priests is to offer sacrifices on behalf of the one seeking God. Even those outside of Israel knew, right, that you don't go to approach a God without gifts and sacrifices. And of course, in Israel, it was made explicit, right, that Israel's spelled out exactly what was separating the people from God. It was their sin, right? They serve a holy God. They're sinners. They're separated from God. And so Israel's priests offered sacrifices for the sins of the people, first for themselves, right, and then for the sins of the people they were serving, so that they could enter into fellowship with God, right? That was the ultimate role of the priest, bring people back into fellowship with God. 
But the priests had to deal with their own sins and then the sins of the people. But Jesus comes as the perfect priest without any sin or any need for a sacrifice. We see Hebrews 7.27, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. No, Jesus is the perfect priest. And Jesus takes it a step further, seeing our need for a perfect sacrifice. He offers himself. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12 says it this way, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, when through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Right As a result, of Jesus' work as priest and sacrifice, the author of Hebrews invites us to come boldly to the throne of grace. I love Hebrews 4.16, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right? We can come out of hiding because Jesus has already paid our debt. We don't have to wallow in shame because Jesus has given us a brand new identity. We don't have to pretend or perform because we're that secure in Jesus. We don't have to posture. We don't have to impress people with our progress in the faith, right? We're that secure in the sacrifice Jesus has given his high priestly ministry. So what would it look like to live like we have a merciful and faithful high priest this week? What would it look like to actually step into that with that reality front and center in our minds as we uh, set, apart, set off on another week? First, uh, follow Jesus as the infallible guide to the Father, right? Step one, right? Jesus coming from the Father Knowing the Father, being in intimate relationship with the Father is the perfect guide. There are many other guides <laughs> promising to bring you into the divine, to bring you special knowledge of the divine. Jesus is the very revelation of the Father. Let him lead us to the Father. Let him show us the Father, right? Listen to what he has today. He wants to lead us by the hand into God's presence, and he does so as our merciful, faithful high priest as the perfect sacrifice, right? He can bring us into the presence of God. Second, run boldly to the throne of grace with our sin and suffering. And I realize this is counterintuitive, right? When, when we sin, when we're struggling, we run and hide, right? We know that in our human relationships, right? When we screw up, we're like, you know, we withdraw or we attack, you know, depending on our different mechanisms, and, all. and there's, a th- there's another option, right? We are invited to run boldly to the throne of grace. When we screw up, as we will do, we run boldly to the throne of grace. When we get off track, we, we run to the throne of grace. We take the burdens we're carrying to the cross. We cast our cares on Jesus. We leave our fears and anxieties for the cross. We've got an opportunity to do that this morning. Um, man, so long for each of us to unburden ourselves this morning of all of the weights that we carry and run free uh, this morning. Finally, we get to be priests to the people God has placed in our lives, right? The Israelites were never able to be the kingdom of priests God called them to be in Exodus 19. But through Jesus, 
That calling is ours today. Uh, we see this in 1 Peter 2.9. But you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We get to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to the people God has put in our lives. As Jesus has taken us by the hand and led us to the Father, we get to take people by the hand and lead them to Jesus, right? That's part of our priestly ministry. We get to convey to people the very heart of Jesus, his sympathy, right? His compassion for us, right? We get to convey that in our demeanor, in the way that we relate to people. We show them God is not surprised by our struggles, our sins, our weaknesses. Rather, we come alongside and we lead them to that throne of grace, to the mercy, the compassion, the grace that is ours in Jesus. What an incredible privilege, right, that we would be a kingdom of priests, that each one here, not just the pastors, not the clergy, not just the, the elders, not just our missionaries, not just our parachurch workers, but that our whole church would be a kingdom of priests, that the people around would get to discover God, who he is, what he's like from each person in this room. That's the vision, right? And nothing less than that, that each person in this room would be a priest bringing people into the presence of God. And that's what you get to look forward to this week as you step out and we send you out into the community to be a priest. And especially at those awkward family gatherings and (laughs) at those interesting work parties and at all the opportunities you're going to have to represent Jesus in that priestly role. I want to close with a Quote from uh, Dane Ortland. I love his book, A Gentle and Lonely. Beautiful book, taking some of the truths that we talked about this morning and trying to, to, to bring them down uh, to a heart level. But he said this He said, The writer of Hebrews is taking us by the hand and leading us deep into the heart of Christ, showing us the unrestrained witness of Jesus regarding his people. And I want you to feel that this morning. I want to close with that sense that Jesus is with us, Jesus is for us because of all that he's done on the cross, uh, because of his incarnation entering into our world and understanding he's with us. He's for us. And we get to take that with us this morning into our own lives as we bring our own cares and our concerns. And we get to take that out with us as we head out into the community this week. Let's be a church that takes people by the hand and leads them to Jesus into his glorious throne of grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message that Jesus is our priest and that he's a merciful and gracious one. I pray that each person in the room would experience that this morning, not as a theory, not in the abstract, but concretely that they could take the burdens that they're carrying, the fears that they're carrying, the anxieties that they're carrying, the sins that they're carrying, the shame that they're carrying, the guilt that they're carrying, and bring it to the cross. And this morning, we've got a beautiful opportunity to do that as we gather around the Lord's table, as we focus on what our high priest has done as the sacrifice to take away our sins, to deal with all of our sins, to pay it all so that we could be brought back into his presence. And I pray that each person here would have an opportunity to experience that. And as we go out into the into the world, into the opportunities we're going to have this week, God, that you would be with us, giving us opportunities to use those priestly giftings, those priestly opportunities uh, to minister to the people you're going to put into our lives. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.